Hello and welcome to another episode of Embracing Differences with me, Nipin Anand. Embracing Differences is a podcast series aimed at understanding different perspectives about risk management. Often, different ways of looking at risk and risk management, whether it's human factors, engineering, systems thinking, safety management, anthropology, religion, mythology, psychology, sociology, humanities, business studies, you name it. They will all lead to different understanding about risk. The engineering world is contented that we should work towards designing fail-safe systems. But for someone with a business hat on, this would mean a cost. To a system thinker, in every fail-safe design, we are only transferring the risk from one part of the system to another, or even from one form of risk to another. So you may be able to reduce physical harm by introducing a physical barrier, but you may end up with emotional or psychological harm to people because they become risk-averse. So what is the best choice to make? The starting point is to stop criticizing and start appreciating different pathways to managing risk and then picking up the one that suits your needs. It's the appreciation of different viewpoints that is central to the idea of embracing differences. I must admit, it's a hard thing to understand. Very hard indeed. And precisely the purpose of this podcast. So, the podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podbean, Google Podcast, and Anchor. And I'm the host of this podcast and the founder of Novellus Nepananan. At Novellus, we are all about understanding and improving organizational culture within the framework of language. We call it social psychology of risk, which means what does our language tell us about the quality of our decisions and the culture of our organization. So that's really where we are mostly interested. How can we improve our culture and make reflective decision habit? That's the question we want to ask. Uh, Now, some people call it safety culture. I like to use the word organizational culture because it is a lot more holistic in nature. I want you to also check out our IQ method, which is a conversational way of sense-making and learning from events. The details of IQ method are available on our website, novellus.solutions. We also do taster sessions every fortnight to bring people from different parts of the world together. It's an hourly session which tends to be a lot informal and fun. I would invite you to attend one of those sessions if you want to know more about our IQ method. Now, here's a couple of special announcements to make before we start talking about the podcast today, which is the next IQ coaching series starts on the 26th of January. It's a nine weeks program where we meet on an hourly basis every week as a small group of about six to eight people. If you would like to book to this course or want to know more about it, please get in touch. The next IQ workshop in person is scheduled in London on the 23rd and 24th of February. We have already filled half of the spaces. So if you would like to book, now is the time. Details are again on novellas.solutions slash events. Hi, Pedro. Morning, Nipin. How are you? Recovering, getting better. <laughs> uh, good news is Christmas is just around the corner. Yes, uh, that's that's really good. News. Um, so, shall we talk about uh, today about uh, uh, rituals, which we addressed uh, previously, but uh, perhaps now in a more practical way. 
and uh, I hear you have a story that I think illustrates quite well what we would like to address today. You want to tell us a bit more about that story? Yes, absolutely. Let's do that. Um, um, I think we have told this story um, uh, previously, and a lot of people are familiar with it, but I think for those who haven't heard this one, it's worth listening to. You're right, Pedro. We have done a podcast with Dr. Rob Long some time ago, maybe three series, uh, three episodes before this on rituals, and he gave us a really good conceptual framework to work with. I think it's now really this is about, and this is something I promised in that episode, that we will put it in practice by telling a, a practical or, or a story. I think this is how people relate it best. Um, so before I did that, let's just try and conceptualize. Just let's take one, take one step back and see what is a ritual. And I think that's, that's, that it will start, slowly start, it start to make sense. Um, I think in some ways... Um, ritual is what we call the audio-visual performance of a culture. If you want to understand culture, you must go and observe a ritual, both the verbal and the visual performance of the ritual, and that gives you a really good idea of what rituals are all about. And to do that, we must have a fair degree of understanding of what semiotics mean, how we understand symbols, how one person understands symbols differently from the other person, and how we must respect every individual's subjectivity when it comes to understanding the world around. So there is an element of that. What is significant to you may not be significant to me because we come from a different culture. And I think that cultural intelligence is central to understanding what rituals are all about. So that's the first thing, that if you want to understand rituals, you must be semiotically, visually, verbally more intelligent or more sensitive. And you should be able to pick the nuances. Now, in terms of defining can, what is... Sorry. Uh, sure, sorry, please Just uh, something that uh, we've talked about, and I think it's very, it helps a lot understanding what we mean by rituals. And that's perhaps going a bit into uh, the difference between a ritual and a habit. I will come to that in a minute. Actually, Did that's you... a really good point. Okay, yeah. okay, so. I definitely will dwell on that because, yes, that question has been asked before. Um, a ritual, yeah, that's a good one. A ritual is a process that takes away rational thinking in the face of an uncertainty. Now, that is a very powerful way to understand a ritual. Because in the world of risk and safety, we have a number of processes that we like to pull out in the face of uncertainty, in the face of something that happens that we don't know how to tackle with. So be it an incident, be it going into a tank uh, where we have no idea what the risks might be, so we do a risk assessment. We want to, uh, we, we face a change in our organization and we want to do a, uh, we want to see if we can manage change, so we do a management of change or change management process. Um, and and there's, there's a whole range of processes that we have at our disposal, disposal when, when, when it comes to managing or tackling uncertainty. 
And that's a really nice way to understand rituals, that a ritual is something that takes away rational thinking. We don't have to think rationally too much because we have a tried and tested process in place. Now, which brings me to the three most important components of a ritual. One is there must be an intention, which means that there must be a purpose to a ritual. The second one is its repetition, that we should be able to repeat this ritual. It should have the repeatability element into it. So that's, again, a process. A process is written so that it can be repeated several times. And the third one is attention, which also kind of answers the question that you raised about habit. Now, a ritual, in a ritual, we must attend to it. We must be fully immersed into it. Um, and that is very unique to rituals when it comes to differentiating between a ritual and a habit. Because a habit, by its very essence, is doing things unconsciously, not knowing what we are doing. Whereas in a ritual, you must attend or you must be immersed fully into the ritual. So there is, a, there is an element of mindfulness in a ritual that is completely absent in a habit. And I know people have this tendency to use the word ritual very loosely when they say, well, something has been ritualized. What we don't understand is that's not what a ritual is. A ritual must have, you must be fully present in a ritual, which does not happen in a habit. And there is a very beautiful saying that I picked up or an example that I picked up when I was reading an article which differentiates between a ritual and a habit. Now, if you look at the way, you know, when the pandemic hit, uh, shaking hands was no longer um, was the right thing to greet someone. So if your actions are habituated, which means uh, are, are dictated by habit, uh, changing those actions will take a lot of effort. But if your actions are a function of a ritual, which is about mindfulness, about attending to the ritual, you shift away from handshaking and adjusting to the new greeting, whatever it is, um, very mindfully, very gracefully. And if you are a master of a ritual, that adjustment comes come very effortlessly to you, like an athlete or a musician who's in the zone. So that's really the differentiation between a ritual and a habit. Right? Any questions, Pedro, on, on that? No, uh, I think that that's very helpful, and uh, I'm, I'm sure that that will uh, put things in the right, put the story that we now go into in the in the right frame. Uh, so, do tell us a bit more about it. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, I think I think before we start the story, I think it's also very important to give people a framework of the main components of the ritual. And the idea is that, like us, you can also start to to become, um, you can also start to pick the key components in a ritual, for the lack of a better term. So this framework, there are certain things that you need to understand um, if you want to make your rituals meaningful. So, well, in very simple words, um, if you want to align your rituals with their purpose, whatever ritual you have in your organization. So if it's about team meetings or about safety meetings or about risk assessment or 
or whatever it is, the idea is that the process should be aligned with its purpose, whatever purpose it seeks. And if you observe these few components in a ritual, you will be able to do that like us or like we are learning. The first component is what is the place of the ritual? The place or the space is critical. Where is the ritual being performed? The second one is what metaphors are being used in the ritual? And that is being sensitive to the language, to the verbal aspect of performance. The third aspect is what symbols are being used in the ritual? Right? The fourth aspect is what is being imitated in the ritual? Or is there an element of imitation in the ritual? You know, one person raises their hand in the meeting and everyone else does. One person says, are we okay? And everyone responds, yes, we are okay. So there's an element of imitation in, in many rituals or most rituals. Uh, rep repetition, what words, what phrases are being repeated in the ritual? That's very important. Dissent, is there any dissent? Is there any questioning in the ritual? Authority, who has the authority in the ritual? Efficacy, what produces efficiency in the ritual? You know, I, I remember many years ago, I was sitting in, a, in an appraisal with my line manager and the first thing he said, and we used to meet only once in, or twice in a year for my appraisal. And, and that meant a lot to me because that would decide my progression in the organization. And imagine starting that ritual by saying, well, we have only 40 minutes and we need to get through with this. And imagine you have already destroyed the whole ritual with the, that, those, those few words. The efficacy, you know, what produces efficiency in the ritual? Heuristics, what shortcuts, what learned shortcuts are being used in the ritual? Um, gestures, what gestures do people use in the rituals? Code, code is more like a, a language, a coded language, which is only familiar to people from that particular community. So for example, if you bring somebody who's not from the risk and safety world, into a risk, and risk assessment, they wouldn't have a clue of what you mean when you say toolbox or risk assessment or JHA or stuff like that. So what coded language is being used in the ritual? And finally, habits, which we have already discussed before. What is it that people do unknowingly? What, what, what sort of habits do they, do they show? I would add one more thing to it, which actually was picked up by somebody, and I think that's very important. What is the sequence in the ritual? Sequence is something that you should never disturb in a ritual or it is never gets it, it it's never disturbed in a ritual. So whatever A happens before B and B, C happens after B, uh, people usually don't destroy those or disturb those sequences. And sequences are important in ritual. When you start to observe a ritual, and when I tell the story, this will make a lot more sense now. So once you understand all those components of the ritual, you're able to make a lot more sense of rituals in your organization. And even to the extent that you can start to put some of those things or make some of things more meaningful to your organization. Any questions, Pedro, on this so far? No, no. Uh, just uh, looking forward to, to hear the, the, what illustrates this so well. Uh, yeah, yeah, let's do that. Um, so 
I will go back to the to one of the the most profound stories of my my life. Um, I happened to interview a seafarer whose name is John Soria in March uh, this year. It's been almost ten months now, and I think about it every now and then. And just to give you some background, this was a seafarer who was involved uh, in an accident uh, on board his ship, and I interviewed him five years after the accident. and the accident was quite horrible and quite profound in his own life because he fell 8 meters deep into a tank pedro and uh, he it was uh, not only took him almost about 4 hours to get out of that space it was so claustrophobic and also because he had broken several bones in in, in his right leg um but it also um took 7 days to get any serious medication because the ship was was berthed in china and there was a national holiday in the country which meant that he was kept on painkillers for 7 days with those broken bones it was a horrible story to hear and uh, i will not go into the details of the story because a podcast was done on that and people can can listen to it uh, but i want to go straight into the context of this discussion which is all about rituals and one questions i question that i asked him was um so what do you think was the cause of the accident in you know just to help him reflect on it and that was as open as i could be in the questioning and his response was he said that there was no risk assessment carried out and if risk assessment was carried out this wouldn't have happened to me so going back to the audio visual performance of a ritual i i wanted to 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 i just asked him requested him if you can help me visualize what that risk assessment should look like what is it that you do in the name of a risk assessment and uh, his response was this pedro and some you know every word of what he says needs to be listened to carefully within the framework of the components of rituals that we just spoke about and it will start to make a lot more sense so he says so before we do a certain critical job we would have a meeting in the ship's office after the duty of chief officer at about 8 o'clock he would go down to the ship's office the guys from the deck team are already waiting for him we will talk about the critical job we will be working aloft which is on the side of the ship the parties involved bosun will be the one to delegate the task so the bosun is the head of the crew he will say who will be on the sto- stage who will be up there assisting last time i was just an ordinary seaman so i was just assisting and bosun will be on stage and the way we did the risk assessment in toolbox talk meeting would be there is a checklist so we would need to know every item on the checklist and we would also be given the procedure that's how we do it now and then i asked him towards the end i said is there anything else in the risk assessment that you do apart from that and he said so since primarily that's for the safety of everybody right we would also sign the form after everybody is introduced to the things that we need to so we would sign the form so pedro uh, the idea is let's just start to understand this within the framework of of the components of rituals that we highlighted um 
So there's two aspects to it. We can go deep into this story, but we can also look at it, step back and see what this is all about. Now, if you consider risk assessment as identification of hazards and risks, what becomes quickly apparent to you just by listening to all this is that there is none of that in this story. None of that. There is hardly a conversation in this risk assessment. It's when you listen to it carefully, it's more about job delegation. It's about making people responsible. And it's also a bureaucratic exercise, which means that it's, it's meant to be for, for the purpose of this, of this exercise is to get it done on the piece of paper which he answers very eloquently towards the end. But let's just start to pick up some metaphors in this ritual in the first instance. So, uh, or even talk about stuff like he says um, that we would have a meeting in the ship's office at 8 o'clock and uh, after the duty of the chief officer at 8 o'clock, he would go down to the ship's office. The guys from the deck team are already waiting for him. As a beautiful example of sequence that... In, in, the, in this sequence of the ritual, somebody must have to wait first before somebody else in the position of power and authority arrives in that place, right? It's also very interesting to hear the metaphor of somebody you know, going down to the ship's office, somebody already waiting. And if you are sensitive to spatial metaphors, you can already see where the problem is. He uses the term critical job at least twice. And uh, what's also interesting is that on a small ship with a handful of people, we have managed to introduce the term parties, the parties involved, he says, which is, which is a parties and stakeholders is a very commercial word to use. And it already invites conflicting ideas, conflicting perspectives, conflicting interests. And some people say to me that you read too much into words and I say to them, you replace the word parties with family or group and see the energy in the discussion. It's completely changed. Such is the power of words. Yeah. Um, and, and, and also simply giving away your authority, your power by saying, I was just an ordinary seaman, which means you have a very passive role to play in a risk assessment. You're not an active member of the team. Um, so you can go on and on, but it's just, you know, you're just barely scratching the surface here, but seeing that how, how, when we look at it from the framework of metaphors and symbols and, 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 and authority and dissent, because there's no questioning in this ritual, it's all about telling people what they should be doing, where they should be standing. We quickly come to realize that this particular ritual has lost its intended purpose. In fact, it would be a mistake to call it even a ritual because it's become so habitual. There is no, there is no rhythm in this. There is no mindfulness in this ritual. And that is the point I wanted to make that just using that framework of the, the, the components that we highlighted in the beginning, we are able to observe and listen so much more just from this small extract and then towards the end, um, to put a closure to the ritual, what is it that is needed? 
the closure is is achieved by signing of piece of paper and i think that's wonderful how we see closure in a ritual and how far it has gone from its intended purpose which is to have a conversation about about where are the risks what can we know that we didn't know before we started the meeting what sort of unconscious biases will float up through a meeting of minds through conversation between people none of that is visible in this ritual so that's so much you can achieve by placing it within the framework of a ritual any questions pedro well uh, i think that, that that punchline is 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 really powerful and, uh, uh his sentence and because this is for the safety of everyone and everyone signs the document uh i mean just just putting those two together is should should ring a lot of bells in your mind um where this is gone and how far has it gone f- away from its purpose um so uh, i'm i'm just uh, wondering and perhaps to to uh, to uh put put a a clear clear end in 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 our discussion um so what are we to do with rituals in our workplace are are we to look to and promote their existence and we 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 know they're there are we to promote their existence or are there some is there something that we should uh seek to get rid of uh where do they belong where should they fit in how we should approach them so i think a lot of people out there still think that rituals just belong in 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 prayer places and churches and 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 temples but uh they're in fact everywhere in our lives and so what what should we do with them yeah yeah um let's uh, let's just talk about that um um i think um i think the the i think this the starting point really is to understand um the the power of a ritual to understand that there are rhythms in a ritual that you don't see in a habit the starting point is to understand and appreciate that the the degree of attention that you need to 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 pay in a ritual that we 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 are not good at doing so we invite people to a meeting and we hardly ever give them the opportunity to speak we have no time to listen to them it's mostly a one way conversation and i think that's that's something that we need to understand because if we keep talking how will we ever listen and how will we ever understand anything new which is so important when you are facing uncertainty if you keep asking the same set of questions from your incident investigations and your risk assessments because you become so habitual how would you ever even listen if something new comes up because that's not in your ritual and i think i have always believed in the idea of a conversation but it's becoming more and more clear to me why a conversation is so important in a ritual so to answer your question you cannot learn anything new you cannot understand your own unconscious you cannot understand the flawed framing of your questioning that is producing the same results every time if you're not open to listening and when i say listening i 
basically mean listening to what you do not know, your own unconscious biases. Forget about the other person. So that's definitely something you want people to think about. Now, in terms of some of the components that we did mention, um, see, the idea is to avoid or to, to minimize uh, mindlessness in a ritual. The idea is to is to constantly think about uh, avoiding a ritual to become a habit. And some of the things that might help you is if you always do a ritual in one particular place, you might want to consider moving to another place. Why the same meeting room? Why the same place where you sit every time in the same meeting? Why the same whiteboard? Why the same... Uh, presentation. So breaking from these habitual practices will create an element of mindfulness in a ritual. Even simple things like let's not always sit in the same place will evoke some uh, di different thoughts, different ideas. I think that's important. Also paying attention to your metaphors. I think it's very important. Why is it that we always use words like follow, instruct, remind, ensure, be careful as a metaphor of safety. Why don't we use a different set of words, you know, sharing, caring, tell me more, helping, listening. I think, so metaphors are very, very important. Um, simple things like when you ask a question, be as open as you can be. You know, instead of saying, what colors are you seeing on the board? What could be the colors? Because people do things, see things differently, and you have to appreciate that as a facilitator of a risk assessment or an incident investigation. So be as open as you can in order to come to terms with your own unconscious biases. Why does a checklist always have to start from top to bottom or from left to right or a risk matrix? Why can't it be from bottom to top or from middle somewhere? Or even leave the checklist towards the end. Do the checks first and then come to the checklist so that it doesn't become a mindless exercise which is dictated by a piece of paper. So I think, I guess what I'm trying to say is that is one way to promote a ritual is to, uh, well, one way to avoid ritual or habitualizing or making a ritual mind mindless is to evoke some critical thinking is to evoke some imagination, some creativity in your daily work, whether it's a risk assessment or an incident investigation or whatsoever. And, and also to become used to the idea of having a conversation where you can leave your agenda for 10 minutes and just listen to what the other person is saying. Not for his sake, if that's too difficult for you, not for their sake, but for your own sake so that you might be able to learn something new that you didn't know until you started that conversation. And I, I guess it's hard for many people, Pedro, to do that. I, I, I fully empathize with that. We are, you know, we are born, we're designed as humans for, for actions and, and doing things. We're not designed for reflection uh, and, and thinking. But I guess listening um, makes a huge difference if you genuinely want to learn more than what you knew. Nipin, uh, uh, an interesting parallel, I think, is coming to mind, um, and I'd like to hear what you, what do you think of it. Um, I'm, I'm th I mean, checklists are everywhere in in every workplace, and uh, 
perhaps one of the most famous places where they pop up is uh, at an airplane cockpit. And I'm, I'm, I'm getting the feeling here that uh, in, in that sort of environment, a checklist is there to support the ritual. So pilots have their own uh, flight crew ritual, and the checklist is done when they're doing the ritual. As they do the check, the, the, the checklist is there to support that ritual. Whereas if we take that to uh, John Soria's uh, story, uh, the risk assessment, the checklist, the documentation they're using seems to be the very thing that is stealing away the purpose of the ritual. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And this is what I, I, I felt the Confucianist idea of a ritual is so powerful because in essence, what I learned from, from the Confucianist way of looking at ritual is that once you become a master of the ritual, then you are, you are in the rhythm of the ritual. So you're not, so you are very quick at detecting when mindlessness creeps into a ritual and you go back into into uh, yeah precisely uh, yes pedro you're right absolutely so you you know where exactly you are becoming a victim of of habits uh, and and you know when to evoke mindfulness into it yes so the checklist is not the one that yes checklist is important but checklist does not dictate the process you do So, so we go back to that initial point that we always like to make, which is uh, it's all about the person and the person listening to her own self, first of all, and to others. Right. Does that make sense? That's right. Absolutely. Yes, yes. Uh, and I think uh, before we end, we should leave a couple of questions with people. Say, uh, just think about what rituals in your organization have become misaligned with their purpose. And one way to understand is that whether it's a risk assessment, an incident investigation, a board meeting or a toolbox talk, whatever it is, think about two things at least. Which rituals are there to dehumanize people? And I can clearly see many, many things that we do to belittle people, to dehumanize people. And which rituals are there to breed mistrust, that you come to a ritual and it actually breeds mistrust instead of trust. And, and if you think about those two questions and you can, you can start to think, how can we change that in our organization? How can we make sure that every ritual, every meeting, every, every ceremony, every get together, um, we can promote more meaning, more purpose, and more trust. And one way to look at it is, is how can we improve relationships and how can we recognize people in our rituals? I think that's, that's the key to it. Yeah. So almost uh, try and look around and see what rituals have stopped working for organizing people in person and have, have began to serve other purposes other than building organization, right? Yeah, I, I go back to my story where I was saying earlier, at the start of, a, of an appraisal meeting, you are, you, are, you are told 
you have 40 minutes and we need to get on with it. And what kind of an appraisal would that be? What, what, what is that? What is the purpose of that ritual? Is it really about uh, bringing my, my best potential out? Or is it about creating a sense of vacancy, a sense of, of dissatisfaction and, and worthlessness? It's almost like, well, you just have to do it because we have to get through it. There is no real meaning in this, in this exercise. So it's really about dehumanizing people in many ways, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a very good uh, example at the end. Anything to add, Nipin? No, I don't think so. I think we, we, it's, uh, it's been a wonderful conversation, like always, Pedro. And uh, let's see what people have to say after listening to this. Looking forward to that. All right. You take care. All right. Do you have any questions, any feedback, any comments, any criticism? You can always write to us. You can write to me personally at support at novellas.solutions. You can also leave a message for us on our website, novellas.solutions. You can email me personally at nepin.anand.novellas.solutions and you can find me on LinkedIn. Until then, have a good day.